Atlanta Healing Center. Broadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. But we take the time to fix the problem. Good morning. If it's Thursday, you're in the doctor's lounge. So those of you who are listening live, welcome back into the doctor's lounge. And if you are downloading this podcast, thank you for doing so. And we hope that you'll continue to go to the uh, uh, America's Web Radio or Docs for Patient Care site and uh, continue to download our weekly shows. I'm your host this week, Dr. Hal Schurz, and we switch every week with my co-host, Dr. Michael who did a great interview last week with potential uh, Governor Hopeful Hunter Hill. That was a terrific show that um, Mike did, Dr. Mike did. And uh, each week we bring you the best in healthcare news and uh, try to equip you with the information that you need so that you can advocate for yourself and your family's healthcare needs. Um, We've, uh, this show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the uh, only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country, and we stand for the principles of healthcare freedom and the doctor-patient relationship, and we need your support so that we can continue to bring this show to you and do all the work that we're doing around the country. So please go to our website, d 4 pcfoundation.org yes we're a foundation d4pcfoundation.org and you can give $5 or $500 or $5,000 no amount is too small or too big but we really cannot continue to do what we do without the support of you the listeners so please uh, uh, give generously and uh, allow us to help you fight for your health care freedom so it's uh, it's May already, and we are uh, talking about the midterm elections of 2018, and the uh, issues are are uh, if you're watching the news, they're kind of crazy. You know, the people who are talking about the the midterm elections are referring to it as a referendum on Trump. Um, they are looking at uh, the opponents of Trump or looking at the midterms as a, as a, um, a possible jumping off point to impeachment. They're talking about uh, Nancy Pelosi again being the Speaker of the House. And uh, what the vote will mean is that it will determine what will happen moving forward. And if um, the vote goes a certain way, then the progress that's being made, and yes, there is progress being made that people aren't hearing about in the legacy media because it just does not fit their narrative, but the progress that's being made will be short-circuited and will be just, if you think that we're being... Um, inundated with with nonsense and minutia and things that don't matter now. Wait until there's a change in in uh, parties in Congress, and it will you ain't seen nothing yet. But what does this have to do to, with health care? Well, the polls show that the single issue that Americans are most concerned about is not Russia, it's not guns, it's not the border or North Korea, it's not. Syria or Iran or Stormy Daniels or even Hillary Clinton, the FBI or James Comey. People are sick of all this stuff, but what they are concerned about is number two, three, and four is the economy, taxes, and jobs, not necessarily in that order. But the number one concern still, believe it or not, even though nobody is talking about it, is health care. And this is uh, what makes what we talk about on this show pertinent. It makes it important for you to understand what the issues are. Because, yes, people are still being hurt by high costs, 
by lack of choices for health insurance, for their doctors, for facilities, for drugs, for tests. And so health care is still very much on everybody's agenda, and, and it's, it's important. Um, it almost seems like there's no relief from the high health care costs. Um, no help seems to be on the way for the problem of few choices in the insurance world. It seems like the costs of insurance are going up every year. It's covering less. It's the worst of all possible worlds, right? Your insurance is costing you more, and you're paying more out of pocket. And so what good is the insurance? It's really not uh, providing what people think that they're paying for. And there doesn't seem to be any end in sight with hospital consolidation. There are fewer choices. There are higher prices. And there's no price transparency. Drug prices are higher than ever, and they're being manipulated by the pharmacy benefit management um, uh, companies and by the pharmaceutical industry. And and uh, this is, is being uh, looked at and needs to change. So let me just say this. If you don't want to go back to Obamacare, or even worse, if you don't want to move toward a single payer government controlled system then you need to be very careful about your vote in November and you need to try to put aside all the noise that you're hearing in the legacy media C, C, uh, or, uh, CBS ABC, NBC New York Times, Wall Street uh, not Wall Street Journal, Wall Street Journal happens to be one of the only uh, sources of, of accurate news but the, the Washington Post, uh, the L.A. Times. Um, if you think that um, staying home is the answer, it's not. You need to exercise your positive vote to try to continue to move forward and not allow us to slide back in health care. And so um, with that as a backdrop, uh, before I get into what I really want to talk about today, which is uh, what is happening in Washington, not in Congress. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, my good friend, Michigan State Senator Pat Kolbeck, who is also running for governor. Um, he's been a guest on this show before, and he's planning on introducing this week a bill to repeal the anti-competitive CON law in Michigan. And uh, he would be a great governor for Michigan. He knows health care. His wife is a pediatrician. And he understands what the free market in health care is all about and how that is the answer for the problems that we're facing. He needs your support. And he would really uh, help Michiganders um, with their individual freedom and take power away from special interests. He's a dark horse in that race, and he could use your help and support, and I encourage you to go to his website and help any way that you can. So Washington is back at health care, and it's not in Congress. It is coming from the executive branch. Congress doesn't seem to be capable of doing anything meaningful or substantive. It's um, just mired in uh, all kinds of nonsense. Um, there is uh, uh, so much, so much um, backroom uh, finagling and, and inertia going on that I'm not sure <clears throat> that uh, they're going to initiate anything unless they are pushed into it. And hopefully some of the actions that are occurring in the executive branch will, uh, will prompt Congress to have to act. Um, so it seems that President Trump is actually serious about making changes in health care. He is... Uh, a, a man of the people. He realizes that there is uh, considerable angst about health care uh, across America. And he 
realizes that he needs to do something that will be positive with health care because that was one of his big promises. Now, um, there is there is uh, action hopefully coming out of Health and Human Services and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid, hopefully out of the FDA and out of the Oval Office itself to undo some of the previous executive orders affecting health care, like kickbacks to insurance companies, Medicaid expansion, and, and so on and so forth. The Washington Examiner reported how um, one of the most recent changes um, will um, in in healthcare will uh, is coming out of the Trump administration that President Trump has issued um, executive orders that will help families that are paying Obamacare taxes. If you remember, in December. Congress passed the landmark tax reform bill, which President Trump signed into law. And in that bill, it gutted um, the um, individual mandate, which um, which required um, people to purchase health care or they would have to uh, pay a penalty. And um, the... the uh, problem is that the uh, law does not go into effect until 2019, which means that uh, there will, will be quite a few people paying a penalty in 2018 for not having a qualified Obamacare-compliant health care plan. The... Um, in, in the Affordable Care Act, there are opportunities for people who do not have a qualifying health insurance plan to avoid having to pay the penalty by applying for a hardship exemption. And um, the uh, most common um, ca- uh, reason f- that people have cited for applying for the hardship exemption is that they've experienced financial or domestic circumstances including unexpected natural or human-caused events that had a significant unexpected increase in essential expenses that prevented them from obtaining coverage under a qualified health plan. That's the verbiage in the Affordable Care Act. What President Trump did and what what, uh, he um, authorized through uh, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services were new guidance to expand the exemptions for uh, four new qualifying circumstances, which I'm going to enumerate right now. The first is that if you're living in a region where there is just one health insurer selling plans in the Obamacare marketplace, you can apply for a hardship exemption. The second is people living in a region where no health care plans are are sold on the Obamacare exchange. The third is the lack of availability of a plan that doesn't include coverage for abortion. And the fourth is when a person is unable to find a plan on the Obamacare exchange that covers the specialty care that they need. And I'm going to finish up on that when we come back from this hard break, so stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Dr. Elena George. Join me Wednesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. for Medicine on Call, a show dedicated to exploring the medical, social, and political aspects of our healthcare system in order to find solutions.
listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. Today we're talking about what is happening in healthcare in Washington that is not coming out of Congress. And there's uh, quite a bit happening. And I went through some of the exemptions that people can apply for for Obamacare individual mandate waivers. The um, uh, Trump administration through the uh, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, um, has issued four new categories to allow people to apply for exemptions. So what does this mean? Well, this is really impactful because most of the people who fall into this category are actually um, low earners. It's not the higher earners who are going without insurance. They're figuring out a way to get insurance, even though it is costing them an arm and a leg and it's a bad deal for them. They still feel insecure not having um, insurance. But this is applying to people who just can't afford the insurance that's out there. And anecdotally, I'll tell I'll tell you about that in just a second. But but people who are um, living across the country, earning between ten and fifty thousand dollars a year, are the ones who are most affected by this. And in 2015, the most recent year in which data was available, 6.6 million people were forced to pay the Obamacare fine, and 80% of them fell into that category of 10 to 50,000 in annual earnings. So that means that the penalties are disproportionately affecting lower income and working class people. And so what these new exemptions will mean is that uh, people living in these counties with one or no insurers, and that is almost in half the counties in the U.S., um, this would affect um, a third of the people who are paying the penalties, well over 2 million people. So uh, kudos to the Trump administration for trying to further ease the tax burden on lower income Americans. So, you know, when when you hear uh, the legacy media saying that uh, Trump is hurting lower income individuals with his policies, you can uh, uh, throw that back in their face and uh, explain that that is uh, how the Trump administration is trying to help lower-income Americans. What was interesting is that uh, that the the um, I, I happen to be on all of these chat rooms and blogs and email sites um, by virtue of my associations with many many people and the, uh, many of the doctors in in the uh, in, in this uh, space are angry at former uh, HHS Secretary um, uh, Tom Price for actually saying that repealing the individual mandate might have been a mistake. And uh, he, is, uh, he was um, addressing the World Health Care Congress um, this, w- this past week and suggested that passing the um, uh, tax reform bill and including the individual mandate repeal in there was what would have been okay if Congress would have gone to the next step, but just doing that may have actually made things worse. So he thinks that maybe that was a mistake, and and I don't want to give anybody the impression that um, that Dr. Price is all of a sudden a uh, a pro uh, big government uh, healthcare person. He is still in in the camp of giving Americans individual freedom and allowing people to make choices, but. He thinks that uh, doing this incrementally may have not been the best way to do it, and and I I understand where he's coming from, and I understand 
the uh, the um, the position of the Trump administration to try to um, cut some of the legs out from under Obamacare. I don't know if there's a right answer, but I do think that you have to start somewhere. So I would have to disrespectfully. Uh, disagree or respectfully disagree with uh, with con- former Congressman, former Secretary Price, that uh, we we needed to start somewhere, and this was probably a good place to start. And if there's fallout because this uh, upset the marketplace, then we need to look elsewhere to stabilize the marketplace. And I don't think it's going to be with government regulation. There's way too much government regulation right now, and the um, uh, and and that that <clears throat> will lead to what I want to talk about um, next about change coming out of Washington. But um, I, I said that I wanted to um, give a uh, a little anecdote about people who have decided not to uh, get health care insurance because they just can't afford it. And I'm seeing this in my medical practice. I'm a, uh, a pediatric urologist, and I'm uh, seeing people coming into my practice every day who don't have insurance, who are now um, wondering how they're going to be able to pay for procedures. They um, the These are mostly people who have uh, um, small businesses. They are uh, uh, not willing to take on uh, the plans that are on the exchanges because they are either a Medicaid Medicaid plan uh, in in the form of Ambetter or they are a Kaiser plan, and uh, and they're too... um, either restrictive or expensive or they just don't fit into uh, what patients are really looking for. And the only insurer in the Atlanta market where I practice uh, in the individual market left um, at the beginning of the year, and that was Blue Cross Blue Shield. So that's left a lot of people requiring health care insurance. Some of the... um, the, uh, um, uh, faith-based care sharing uh, plans like Liberty Health or MediShare are uh, starting to uh, uh, gain popularity. Uh, the efforts that, that I am involved with, with uh, uh, the direct primary care um, and direct contracting with patients through um, Hip Nation is uh, another option that is really picking up steam. And if we have time at the end of the show, I'll uh, give you an update on the Hip Nation story. But there is, um, you know, considerable amount of uh, of uh, of angst, uncertainty, um, insecurity, and in patients coming in to my office these days, and they're really not sure what. Um, they can expect going forward, and so I think that this is um, uh, this is information that's resonating at, at, in Washington and the executive branch in the Trump administration, and they are uh, looking to make changes. And it was um, uh, just last week, also, <clears throat> or a couple of weeks ago, that um, that uh, Secretary Azar. Um, Alex Azar, uh, the HHS secretary, addressed the uh, Federation of American Hospitals Convention in Washington, and he got up there and he told the hospital executives that change is coming. And um, he said that uh, they would not be deterred, meaning HHS and and, uh, the Trump administration, by powerful special interests. They were unafraid of disrupting existing arrangements simply because special, powerful interests were were behind them. And um, their goal is to make it easier for patients to access their health care records, to encourage health providers to be more transparent about costs of procedures, and uh, and and cost of services, and to remove regulations that impede innovation. 
and HHS is going to experiment with payment models in Medicare and Medicaid to drive value and quality, he reported, he said at the uh, convention. And I'm going to spend a little time on that in, in just a few minutes. But what is clear is that Secretary Azar and the message coming out of HHS and CMS is that the costs are too high, that HHS, CMS, the Trump administration hears this, and that they are going to do things to lower those costs, whether they are through executive action, whether they are through arm twisting to get legislative legislation passed in Washington. Um, it's got to come out of HHS. But it also needs to come out of Treasury. It needs to come out of the uh, out of uh, the um, FTC, Treasury, because the uh, one of the most important um, uh, innovations in healthcare delivery, uh, which we talk about on this show on a regular basis, which is direct primary care, is being impeded by the lack of ability of people to be able to pay for their direct primary care with HSA dollars, and that has got to change. The definition of direct primary care has to change. It has to be defined as a healthcare delivery model, not as a risk-bearing entity. And I'm hopeful that this is a message that HHS and CMS is receiving because the people who are on the uh, on the front lines of DPC and the patients who are receiving it need to have this assurance and this protection in order for this model to flourish. There needs to be government um, uh, intervention from the FTC. The FTC is um, is important for uh, rolling back the certificate of need laws, which also is a common theme on this show. But but they are anti competitive, they are monopolistic, and they are allowing hospitals to keep competition out of the marketplace. And the FTC needs to weigh in, as does the Food and Drug Administration, for the uh, role in reducing drug costs and taking away some of the clout of the pharmacy benefit management companies. So HHS needs to lead the way and help push these other agencies to make change. And we're going to talk about a couple, one of these big changes in the next segment in the Doctor's Lounge, so please stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
We're back in the doctor's lounge. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for those of you who've downloaded this and are listening to this uh, this podcast. We hope that you'll continue to do so and uh, follow us on our website, um, d4pcfoundation.org, and support the efforts of our organization. Um, we were talking about what needs to come out of Washington and uh, with the executive branch and their agencies leading the way. They've got to be the change agent, and it can't be Congress because Congress has been absolutely paralyzed by inaction, and um, they will they will uh, point to the uh, tax bill as as one of their. Uh, crowning achievements to uh, helping to roll back Obamacare and eliminating the individual mandate, but real change needs to come by reducing regulation, making it easier for people to do what I like to call travel on the um, express lane of the healthcare superhighway and let them get the care that they want, the care that they need, and the care that they can afford. And that's going to take a concerted effort by the um, executive branch of the Trump administration to make the changes necessary to allow the innovators in healthcare to flourish and this is something that uh, Trump has has uh sent the message to his uh to his departments that he wants to see he wants to see innovation he wants to see less regulation and less bureaucracy so it's time for less talk more action and uh when uh, secretary azar um was uh addressing the um the uh, uh national um, meeting in Washington of the Federation of American Hospitals. He said he wasn't singling out hospitals when they say that they're going to uh, make changes, but also pharmaceutical companies and uh, and uh, PBMs, uh, pharmacy benefit management companies. And uh, he said, and I quote, "It doesn't if it doesn't happen that these these um, uh, entities in healthcare make the changes." That that the um, that the uh, federal government, the executive branch, has plenty of levers to pull that would help to drive this change. One of the things that I think that they're misguided in, and you know, there's 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 so many um, uh, narratives in healthcare. People who believe that they know what the answer is, and one of the uh, demons in the high cost of health care is the uh, the mantra that fee-for-service medicine is bad, that uh, people who charge for care are actually um, making health care more expensive by doing more procedures, by doing unnecessary tests, by gaming the system. I hear this all the time, that oh, doctors are ordering these tests and they're making so much money, which is, of course, it's rhetoric and nonsense because doctors don't make any money by ordering tests in in uh, hospitals <clears throat> that uh, are charging um, 10 times what the going rate for an X-ray or a lab test is, and the hospital is reaping all the benefit of that. Um, this is so so difficult and such an entangled problem to unweave that that it would take you know hours to really do do so and and explain this but but doctors order tests to to protect themselves from malpractice claims and and that frivolous lawsuits are are rampant and the um the defensive medicine costs contribute about six hundred billion dollars um, a year to uh, to healthcare, and uh, it's it's really disgraceful. Um, the uh, the uh, high cost of healthcare in the hospitals is really in in large part um, the uh, responsibility of 
the federal government and the the uh, disproportionate reimbursement system that has been created by um, CMS, so that hospitals get paid more for for doing a test than an, a, a private than a doctor in private practice would get, or a laboratory that's independent would get, and so these these. Um, reimbursement models are are so perverse and so so geared towards um, allowing the hospitals to to rape the healthcare system and allowing hospitals to claim non for profit status at the same time. It is just they really bear a tremendous amount of the responsibility for why we are where we are today. So to point fingers at any one part of healthcare and saying that's what is causing the high cost uh, vis-a-vis the fee-for-service medicine, I think is just so disingenuous and misleading that it's really um, losing... It, it is um, conf- confusing the issue for for those who um, don't understand healthcare, and it's making it's misleading people and pointing them in a direction that we um, shouldn't be focusing on, but rather um, obscuring what the real issue is. And one of the big issues is the um, you know is is the fact that people are are um, getting. Uh, their health care through third party uh, uh, payment models ninety between ninety five and ninety eight percent of people in this country are that means that you have insurance you you uh, look for a, a, a provider who accepts your insurance and then you um, uh, get the insurance pays for that visit or that service, provided that you have met your deductible and provided, and that's after your copay, and that's what everybody is so up in arms about, that that the high cost of insurance and the high cost of the deductibles and the copay mean that people very often with a family of four are spending well over $25,000 a year on health care before they see any benefit. And in many cases, that figure is over $40,000. And so so there needs to be better value in health care. And that's what direct primary care is all about. It's about giving better value to patients. If you accept the premise that 80% of health care is really transactional between a patient and their primary care doctor. That primary care doctor can deliver about 80% of the care that people need. And I'm purposely leaving out big operations, catastrophic care. That can be a different conversation. But for the run-of-the-mill patients in this country, 80% get their care from a, can get their care from their direct primary care doctor. Their direct primary care doctor can help coordinate things so that they can get tests in facilities for a fraction of what those tests would cost in a hospital. And hospitals have now been given the ability to buy up all of these um, independent laboratories and imaging centers and charge 10 times as much as as they did for those same tests when they were independent facilities. And government and insurance companies will pay more at those facilities than, than they would at independent facilities. And so direct primary care arrangements allow patients to get better care at lower cost and stay healthier. And that's what direct primary care doctors are all about. And they're not about cherry picking. And they're not about what the federal government calls lemon dropping, which is leaving off the sicker people. In fact, 
direct primary care, doctors welcome those patients. And because the, the people who do direct primary care are in the business of taking care of people. They're not in the business of making money. And that, again, is the mantra that people who demonize this model would have you believe. All doctors really want to do is not lose money and make a decent living. They don't want to have to spend money unnecessarily on government-mandated electronic medical record uh, regulations or compliance with insurance company regulations or compliance with federal regulations of how they are going to have to um, see patients in order to get paid through Medicare or Medicaid. If patients get their care directly from primary care doctors and are unencum- and doctors are unencumbered, they're free from all of that regulation. The cost of delivering health care plummets. It is it is so affordable. When we started talking about direct primary care about eight years ago. Um, 10 years ago, the people who were doing direct primary care were charging $80, $100, $120 a month for a patient to have a doctor who was their personal doctor who would take care of everything, not a concierge doctor, but a If you want to call it a concierge doctor, it's a concierge doctor for the barista at Starbucks or the person changing your oil at Jiffy Lube. The the concierge doctors charge you a fee so that you get um, access to see them, but they still charge your insurance. But the direct primary care doctors will see you for that fee that they're charging every month. Everything is included. And if they can't do it in their office, they can they have access. They've arranged for cut rate uh, services outside of the office. So if they can't draw blood or they can't do a blood test in their office, they can arrange for an independent facility to do that test maybe at $10 instead of the $100 or the $150 in the hospital lab. They can arrange for you to get a chest x-ray for $15 instead of the $120 in the hospital. A CAT scan for $150 instead of the $3,000 in the hospital. That's what direct primary care doctors arrange for their patients. And so, so this model works. And it has gained a lot of credibility. It's gained a lot of steam. More and more people are now looking at it because they have no options. And when they find it and they, and they are participating in it, they're saying, oh, my gosh, this is great. Why are not more people doing this? And part of the reason is that uh, it is uh, really not being... Um, uh, there, there are a lot of roadblocks in the way, and um, and so I, it, the roadblocks need to be eliminated, and and the uh, the pathway needs to be cleared for doctors to be able to deliver this kind of care, and for patients to receive it. And um, CMS has uh, um, has uh, created a. Uh, um, a request for information on direct care. And I'm going to spend the last bit of the show talking about why the uh, direct primary care community is a little concerned about this effort and what needs to be done to um, make it work. So stay with us for the last segment of the Doctor's Lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the last segment of the Doctor's Lounge. Thanks for staying with us. We were talking about what's coming from Washington, what needs to come out of Washington, and we're talking about uh, direct primary care right now. And um, <clears throat> there is there's a, a lot of interest in the, at, in the part of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, and Health and Human Services, HHS, to try to understand what um, direct primary care, the role that direct primary care will play in helping to reduce um, health care costs, and uh, particularly Medicare um, and maybe Medicaid costs. And the, um, there are people who are talking with, uh, leaders in Washington about, about, uh, direct primary care and, uh, what that needs to look like, um, in terms of integrating it into, uh, a healthcare reform model. And there's, unfortunately, um, some, some, uh, Perversion, if you will, or um, some some uh, um, pollution of of what direct primary care is, and the um, the 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 um, HHS CMS has put out a request for information on what they call direct provider contracting models, and. Um, they've tried to expand this into too many areas, and they've expanded it to include models that are cumbersome and actually are antithetical to direct primary care. They're trying to lump it together with ACO models. They're trying to lump it together with regulations that are that doctors who do DPC are able to escape, like CPT coding, or like the um, the medic the um, the uh, high tech um, uh, EMR type of regulations. Uh, the 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 problem when we get into government putting their hands into certain things is that they they don't allow it to run the way that it was intended to run. They try to change it up. They try to um, make it so that they can um, be all-inclusive with all of the ideas. And in all fairness, not all the ideas work but DPC and again, let's uh, CMS has usurped the the DPC um, brand and calls that direct provider contracting when in fact the the uh, pr- the primary care community um, has the uh, the the um, uh, I guess ownership of the term DPC as direct primary care. So in the direct primary care world, um, the doctors who are delivering that are able to do so at pennies on the dollar. Um, There there are direct primary care doctors um, like uh, Lee Gross in Florida, for example, who is the president of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, who is able to deliver 
his direct primary care model for $40 per month. He started out um, considerably higher than that, and he was able to realize that he could do it for less money and still be very profitable. And that's what direct primary care doctors are all about. It's about delivering health care at the lowest possible cost to patients for the um, for the uh, amount of money that allows them to stay open and allows them to be um, viable so that they don't have to sell their practices to hospitals, which unfortunately is happening in in many communities. And it's resulting in doctor shortages, actually. And direct primary care models will help with underserved communities because um, the, the doctors in those communities right now cannot make a living, and they are leaving. They are going to places where they can make a living. And under the current regulatory environment that we live in, um, a doctor can't uh, set up shop and continue to see patients in a traditional insurance model and stay viable if you're a primary care doctor. And nobody's going into primary care as a result of that. And so that's what the beauty of direct primary care is. It allows doctors to deliver health care to patients, which is better, and um, and to be able to uh, um, uh, allow the doctors to run their practices at much, much lower margins. Most doctors... Uh, in primary care in a traditional insurance model are needing to operate at at uh, overhead that um, exceeds um, 50 or 60 percent and sometimes even higher than that. The amount of money that they're able to make is barely um, able to uh, uh, sustain their their life. Uh, and when you have a younger doctor who has to pay back $400,000 in medical loans, um, they cannot make a living as a primary care doctor. So if, uh, if we want to see primary care thrive, if we want to see um, people um, uh, being able to go into a specialty where they're actually taking care of patients and we do not want to cede this responsibility to non-physicians to nurse practitioners or um, or physician assistants, then then we need to allow doctors to be able to um, to make a decent living, to be able to pay back their loans, and that means reducing their overhead by allowing them to um, to shed the bureaucracy and the high overhead that is uh, part and parcel of a traditional insurance model and government model. You know, I, I, we only have a few minutes, and I want to just uh, um, tease uh, what we're doing in Atlanta with uh, Hip Nation, which is a direct primary care-based um, ecosystem. You know, we we are uh, we have formed uh, a, a uh, healthcare delivery model here in the uh, Atlanta area to uh, try to prove the proof of concept, which is that if you have uh, direct primary care doctors seeing patients and taking care of 80% of the needs that they that they have, and you can keep them from going to the hospital, going to emergency rooms, going to specialty care for the most minuscule problems, but instead being able to interface with a specialty ecosystem to answer just general questions that primary care doctors have about patients' problems. This eliminates cost. It eliminates time off from work having to go to a specialist. It gives better care because it will integrate the specialty ecosystem with the primary care ecosystem, and it aligns interests all across the spectrum of healthcare. And so what Hip Nation has done, it has done what primary direct primary care doctors have done on an individual basis, which is um, get value for their patients by working arrangements with private 
laboratories, private imaging centers with pharmacies who are able to give um, di- steep discounts on drugs to patients who are paying cash. And the insurance has been taken out of this. And it is unbelievable how receptive the um, the patient community has been and how satisfied they are. Every day we are getting more and more patients signed up. Um, we are growing at 15 to to 20% per month and it is um, exploding because it's the right delivery model. And um, we've uh, partnered with an indemnity insurance model, an insurance company that is a throwback to the way insurance was before um, Medicare and Medicaid started. You know, in the old days, when my parents had insurance, they went to the doctor, they got taken care of, they paid their bill, and then they got a super bill from the doctor. And they sent it to their insurance company, and their insurance company sent them back a check. And in in many cases, it covered the entire visit. But as time went on, the insurance companies sent less and less and less as they gamed the system, trying to change the model. And we've seen what has happened in the process. They went from sending less money, saying that your doctor charged more than the usual and customary, and then they got doctors to file the claims for their patients because the process became so onerous. That morphed into doctors accepting the insurance payment as full payment, and so they were able to kind of nickel and dime the doctor's rates down, even though they were not high to begin with. And that morphed into the arrangements that we've seen with HMOs and PPOs and PHOs, where you had panels and doctors who would accept even less money from the insurance companies for the care. On the old days, you know, healthcare was not expensive. It's gotten expensive because of government interference, government regulation, government paying hospitals more and incentivizing hospitals to bring those services into a place where there's no cost transparency and people have no idea how much they're going to pay for their healthcare costs. So I'm going to devote a show to Hip Nation, and I'm going to be looking forward to taking uh, emails in advance so that we can um, answer questions about what's possible with this. So uh, I want to thank you for being with us today and look forward to coming back with you in two weeks in the Doctor's Lounge. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. This is Dr. George from Medicine on Call. Healthcare reform is confusing, but one thing has become obvious. Whether it's finding an affordable insurance plan, keeping your doctor, or being able to afford needed prescriptions, navigating the healthcare system has become a challenge. With the loss of the Obamacare mandate, those needing help can now choose an affordable alternative. By joining Liberty HealthShare, you'll become part of a community of health-conscious Americans all over the country who want to control their own healthcare costs and choices. 
Liberty HealthShare is not insurance. It's an association of self-pay patients who unite with like-minded people to share their medical needs. Neighbor helping neighbor. Medical, surgical, and some alternative holistic treatments are covered without restrictive doctor and hospital panels. Plans start as low as $107 a month for an individual and $345 a month for a family. Healthcare without the hassle. What a simple concept. Learn more now by going to libertyoncall.org or call 1-800-714-6993. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you.